Amen. Okay. We'll dismiss our kindergarten through second if they're in here. No, kindergarten and first. Second through fifth, staying in here with us. So, um, and uh, while they're getting settled, I invite you, if you brought a Bible with you, to open up to Matthew um, chapter 6, where we're going to continue in uh, our prayer series, Pray What You've Got. It's amazing in that song um, that we just sang that Jesus, the Alpha, the Omega, that he is the Lamb of God. It takes away the sins of the world, Scripture says of him. It also says that he is the Lion of Judah. And we've got this combination of very distinct qualities and excellencies of who he is. That he is the lamb-like lion and the lion-like lamb. And it's hard to think about those two things together. A lion so ferocious and mighty and powerful. says you can hear the growl of a lion through Africa several miles away. You can imagine the power, the majesty even, but then the lamb. Most of the time, a lamb is, especially a baby lamb, so innocent and pure and you cuddle with it, basically. And this is who Jesus is. How amazing is that? Let me read our passage to you today. In Luke, I mean, in Matthew chapter 6. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Prayer changes things. I believe it. I've seen it. And these disciples saw Jesus praying in such a way that the, the same kind of version that Luke tells that they immediately come up to him and say, Jesus, you got to teach us how to pray. You remember how John the Baptist taught his disciples how to pray. Can you teach us how to pray like you pray? And it must have been a sight to see how Jesus prayed. He, Hebrews chapter 5 says that he often prayed with loud groans and cries and in tears. This is how Jesus prayed. Now, growing up a Jew, they would have learned several prayers from the Old Testament. They would quote several of the scriptures, the passages of the law. They would quote them in their prayers. They had long, drawn-out prayers. They had very rhythmic. They uh, put the psalms, which are songs, but also prayers. They put those to music and rhythm and a melody to them. And so they knew how to pray, but they didn't know how to pray. And so they came to Jesus, and Jesus prayed with a different fervor, a different tone, a different relationship with the Father that, 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 they had ever, that they had ever seen. And so they come and they say, please teach us how to pray. They saw Jesus praying with passion and discipline and often wonder and in awe. Lord, we want to know how to pray like that. And so Jesus takes this most of this passage here in, in Matthew 6 and really all, most all of Luke 11 
And he surrounds both of them with some different teachings on prayer, two different kind of instances where he talked about this. But most of it is not about the technique and prayer. Most of Luke 11, most of Matthew 6 is about the heart of the Father, not technique and praying well. They wanted a formula, and Jesus says, let me introduce you to the Father. There's some technique here, and we're going to go over some of that, but even in the technique, it screams to us about the nature and the character and the love of the one that we're praying to. As a matter of fact, prayer has a lot less to do with our technique and a lot more to do with who we think is listening on the other side of that prayer. Prayer became pervasive in all of God's people. Certainly in the Old Testament, all through the New Testament, the church began to be a people of prayer. Philippians 4, 6 tells us about the kind of prayers we should pray. Don't be anxious about anything, it says, but pray about everything. Let your request with thanksgiving be made known to God. Pray about everything. We walk through Scripture and we see these kinds of prayers. What, what kinds of prayers should we be praying? All the kinds. Every kind, in every situation, in everything, let your request be made known to God. And you look through scripture, a lot of us think that we can only pray for like the super holy things. We pray for revival. We pray for the lost to come to salvation. We pray for the nations to know God maybe. We pray for the serious things. But God wants you to pray about everything. When we look through scripture, we see it just, just this week, just look through some different passages. Starting in the New Testament, we see Zacharias and Elizabeth wanted a family and they couldn't have kids, so they... This was the prayer that, God, that, that, that they prayed to God. We see Solomon prayed for wisdom when he started his new job. Eleazar in Genesis 24 prayed that he could meet a pretty girl so he could set his, uh, his master Isaac up with. Samson prayed for water and he prayed for supernatural, superhuman strength to accomplish a task. Joshua prayed for the sun to literally stop so he could finish a battle. Daniel had this weird dream, and he didn't know how to interpret it, so he prayed to God to give him interpretation, and he did. Gideon thought God was calling him to do something incredible, but he wasn't so sure, so he prayed for confirmation. David prayed for forgiveness after committing adultery with Bathsheba. He prayed that God would give him a clean heart and a renewed, steadfast spirit. Maybe you remember that in Psalms 51. Elijah prayed that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't for three years. And then he prayed that it would rain, and it did. Paul prayed that the thorn in the flesh that he had, a messenger of Satan, would be taken away. The disciples prayed over and over again for boldness. Fathers in the New Testament prayed for their little girls to get better. Peter asked Jesus for financial help to pay his taxes. Jesus told his disciples to pray to get out of temptation. Jesus told us to pray for the lost and the workers that would reach them. All the apostles prayed for Jesus to come back quickly. As a matter of fact, it's the only prayer voiced by the Holy Spirit in all of Scripture. Come, Lord Jesus. Here's the rule when it comes to prayer. If it matters to you, it matters to God. And you can pray about it. The Father loves us. Just this week, last week actually, I prayed two silly little prayers. And God answered both of them. 
as we get into the text, Jesus is going to give us some technique. But here's, here's the, the emphasis. I don't want you to lose. I don't want you to get the process and miss the person. I don't want you to get the method but miss the maker. You get it? This is what Jesus is saying. It's not just about how you pray. As a matter of fact, he said, don't pray like the Gentiles and the heathen do. They pray long, eloquent prayers. Father's not impressed by your long, eloquent prayers. Don't pray like the Gentiles do. They pray with all these words. Father's not impressed with all their words. When you pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. Awesome is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us of our debts. Lead us not into temptation. Seven petitions in the Lord's Prayer. The first three focus on the glory of God, the weightiness and worthiness and supremacy of God, his name, his kingdom, his will. The remaining four on our needs, our daily bread, our debts, our temptations, our deliverance. But in this transition between the few that Jason talked about last week and Man, didn't Jason and then Reynolds before do such a phenomenal job? Man, they just preached. I was overcome with emotion several times in both those messages, those men of God serving you in such a phenomenal way. In this transition between his kingdom, his name, his will, to our bread, our debts, our temptations, we don't find competing or conflicting priorities. It's not like the first three are about him and the last four are about us. As we transition from God and his glory to us and our needs, God still occupies the place of priority. When we pray about God's name and his kingdom and God's will, we pray about realigning our devotion to God. When we pray about our daily bread and forgiveness of our debts and our protection from temptation and our deliverance from evil, we are expressing our dependence on God. Devotion to God and dependence on God. In this model prayer that Jesus used to teach his disciples and us how to pray, it teaches us something about the Father's heart. It's a priority to God of utmost importance. His name and his will and his glory. That we would all agree and think about those weighty things, but in the same breath. His priorities don't just end there of his kingdom, his will, his glory. They continue on to his kids. Your daily bread is a priority to God. Meeting your needs is both his priority and his pleasure. Our hunger and our hurts matter to a father who loves us. In Luke, he would even explain it that way. Which of you whose son asked for an egg would give him a scorpion? How much more so? The father who loves you. The God who saves our souls also satisfies our stomachs. The mighty one who clothes us in righteousness also clothes us in Target or Old Navy or the Lord who provides eternal security also provides our evening meal. Isn't that amazing? 
the fathers whose name is hallowed or holy, the God of the coming kingdom, the Lord of the sovereign will, is the same God that delights in giving you a biscuit. There is no need and no issue and no burden and no trial and no obstacle and no enemy who is outside of the Father's sovereign care for you, his kids. This is why we pray for our daily bread. In verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. This is a petition, a confession of need. Bread is a stand-in here, mostly for bread. They, they would have understood this. They live in a, in a hunter-gatherer type of society. They had some agriculture where they grew things, but they were, they were extremely poverty-stricken. And it was an amazing thing to think about where's our food going to come from tomorrow with no refrigeration and no things to store things in. It was a, you eat what you get today, basically, kind of society. And so when they would pray, as Jesus taught them to pray, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. It was a confession of need. Bread to stand in, not only just for bread, but for all of our physical and material needs. It represents our physical needs, the strength to wake up and to work. You teachers going to work back tomorrow after spring break. This is God's promise to you that you pray for your daily bread. You pray for the strength tomorrow to handle all those kids. He's going to give it to you. Bread represents the physical needs. It represents our material needs, not just food on a table, but a roof over your head and clothes on your back. Basically, all that you would need in life. Your father knows what you need. And he's invited us to ask him for it. One of my friends pointed out that this passage is an appeal for bread and not cake. Give us this day our daily bread. Your needs, not your greed. Jesus offends our American pride by teaching us to pray for such a basic necessity like bread. But friends, this is not just for poor Christians, but for all, all Christians. As a matter of fact, the more you have, the more you need to pray this prayer for bread as a reminder that everything you have in life did not come because you earned it. Unless God provides something so basic as bread, we would waste away. And you might retort, but Luke, I did earn it. With what strength? The strength that God gave you. And what muscles? The muscles that God gave you. With what mind? The mind that God gave you. If God wished at a second, there would be no more bread. Colossians 1 said it's by the power of his word that he actually holds you together. And if he stopped thinking about you for a second, it would be over. In Revelations, it talks about this Jesus coming back on the white horse and he's going to mount himself against every army of the world with all their tanks and atomic bombs and their strategy. And there's not going to be a war. Jesus says one word and they vanish. The bread that you have is not bread that you earned. It's bread that the Father in heaven gave you. Unless God provides something so basic as bread, we would waste away. The book of James reminds us that every good and perfect gift from God above 
The psalmist reminds us that it's God who opens his hands and satisfies the desires of every living thing. In Matthew 6, Jesus would even tell them, isn't it God who cares for the birds? This is teaching us to live dependently. He says, give us this day our daily bread, not weekly bread or monthly bread, but daily bread. He's teaching us to live in a posture where we recognize daily how much we need the Father. This is why Paul Miller in the book that you've referenced said it's so hard to learn how to pray in America because we think, we buy into the, 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 the illusion that we don't have any real needs. This is what Jesus confronted the religious elite. He says, you, you think that you've got everything put together, but as a matter of fact, you're poor, blind, and naked. You've got every need. Jesus is teaching us to live dependently on the Father. To live in a posture where we recognize our need of the Father. Our physical need actually points to a greater spiritual need. In Deuteronomy 8, God says this, He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna which neither you nor your ancestors had known to teach you that man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He says, listen, I'm going to teach you this. You're going to be wandering in the desert, and instead of giving you seed to plant, we're going to be moving a lot. And instead of giving you weapons to hunt, because this is going to be pretty scarce in the desert, how I'm going to feed you is daily I'm going to drop sweet bread Hawaiian rolls, basically, from heaven. Doesn't that sound amazing? Every day, I'm just going to drop these sweet Hawaiian rolls from heaven. And you're going to go out there, and you're not going to work for it. You're not going to have to grow it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to drop it. And the reason that I'm going to do it is because I don't want you to boast in, in your strategy and your effort. I'm going to do it. As a matter of fact, I don't want you to take more than a day's worth, he tells them. I want you to depend on me every day. He did this, he says in Deuteronomy, to teach them that you don't live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. God provides for our physical needs because he cares for us, but also that it might highlight our spiritual needs, that our stomachs would starve without him and our souls would wither without him. John 6, 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I love that Jesus loves bread. He talks about it all the time. It's not keto friendly, but if he, if he would have said that I am the kale of life or the broccolini of life, it just would not have as much. If he dropped lima beans from heaven instead of sweet Hawaiian rolls, I love that he loves bread. And he made me love bread. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Friends, this is the key to prayer. I'm going to tell you in three words. If you don't remember anything else this series, I want you to remember this. The key to prayer in one sentence, it's three words. Heart of dependence. This is the key to prayer. It's the heart of dependence.
This is why we pray better in crisis. When your parents are ill and in a hospital bed, when your spouse is in pain, when your kids are going through difficulty, when you yourself are in a crisis so painful that it's sometimes hard to breathe, all of a sudden we become great people of prayer, don't we? When we've exhausted our own energy and our own efforts, as a last shot, as our last hope, we'll take things to God in prayer. And rightfully so, but it shouldn't take trouble for us to become people of prayer and dependence. We should live a life of prayer with a heart of dependence every day. And this is exactly what Jesus is trying to teach us. Notice too that there's two time references here in this one little phrase. We are going to get to the other phrases. Give us this day, this day, and daily bread. This day, we pray with confidence that God will care for us today. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't plan or prepare or save. Proverbs 6 reminds us that we should turn, learn the lesson from the ants, right, who stores up food in the harvest, and it's right to work and to plan and to save. It's right to be wise about tomorrow, but it's wrong to be worried about tomorrow. Matthew 6, 34, Jesus tells him just a little bit down from this Lord's Prayer, therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Haven't we learned that to be true? H.B. Charles who wrote a book on prayer, says this, worry only borrows sorrow from tomorrow. You can hear him saying it. Jesus says tomorrow's gonna be tough enough. No need to try to carry tomorrow's burdens today. God's provision and God's grace will be enough tomorrow just as it was enough today. And every day of your life in the past and every day of your life in the future, for all eternity, God will be enough. Why is it so hard for me to trust that? Has he ever not been faithful in the past? Never to me. Does his promise stand true? Absolutely. We pray dependently and we pray confidently. Give us this day our daily bread. Maybe we could add to that. We pray expectantly. I think it was one of Reynolds' points a couple weeks ago. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Forgive us of our sins, yours might say as we also have forgiven those who've sinned against us. This is a part of prayer that we might tend to neglect because, but there's just something of extreme importance here. Confession is an important part of our lives because it, it helps us clear out the sin so that it isn't growing and spreading in us. A few months ago, I found an old gym bag and you can tell where this story is going of dirty socks and shirt and shorts that had been tucked away for about six months. Steel damp, covered with mold. Ashley was asking what the smell was coming out of my closet. 
That's what it was. When we hide things in the darkness, when we keep things covered up, when we try to play like it's not a big deal, we keep things hidden. And when we keep sin hidden, it grows. It spreads. You see, sin loses its power when it's exposed. So the scripture tells us that we're to confess things first to God and then, when necessary, confess things to others so that sin doesn't continue to grow, so that the exposure actually rips sin, robs sin, strips sin of its power in that very way. One of the greatest schemes of the enemy is to keep you living in fear and shame and sin. So instead of confessing it to a friend, bringing it to the Lord, talking to your DG about it, mentioning it to your spouse, finding trusted people, you hide it. Well, sin grows and spread when it's hidden. This is the prayer of David when he's confronted on his sin in Psalms 51. That he had sinned and committed adultery and then had someone killed because of it. And he doesn't want anyone to know any of that, although a few do, so he hides it. And in that prayer, we see the effect of sin on David's life. He says that it's rotting his own bones, that it robs him of his joy, that his soul is withering away. That's the effect of sin. So Jesus says when you pray, you ask for forgiveness. Lord, forgive us of our debts as we also have forgiven those who've sinned against us. My suggestion for you is to make a list of two or three areas where you tend to fail, where you tend to blow it, where you tend to choose your way over God's way. Maybe that's fear or lust, but be be specific about it. Make, Make a few categories. These are where I tend to fail. And you should tell your spouse and a few trusted friends about it so that so they can help hold you up. Now, this is scary already. The enemy's already telling some of you in here, you, you can never tell anyone. You just, you can't tell anyone. Because he wants to continue to have the power. Remember, sin loses its power when it's exposed. Now, you've got to be trusted people, of course. But invite them to let you, let, let them ask you tough questions. But also love you when you fail. Now, the other phrase, forgive us our debts, of course, we could speak a whole sermon on this. But it's tied to the first, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. The other phrase, a result of the first, when I confess my sins and I ask for forgiveness, when I put myself in a place of need and dependency, when I take the lowly road, it radically changes my heart and my perspective to other people. You see that? The primary thing that produces compassion and generosity in me towards other is realizing how gracious and compassionate God has been with me this very day. Now, often we don't want to look at it like that. We want to compare ourselves to them instead of ourselves to God. And we want to say that we're not as sinful as another person. And that produces pride and arrogance in us. And the scripture says that God opposes the proud. We don't want to be that person. But when we come as needy children and we say, Dad I, Dad, I blew it again. I'm so thankful for your grace and your forgiveness. And that makes us the kind of people that are gracious and compassionate towards others. 
I approach God as a deeply loved and deeply forgiven man, and that fosters the right attitude towards other people. Both those that need my love and need my forgiveness. Scripture says that we love because he first loved us. Notice, too, that this is a communal prayer. When we talk about this, we talk about it as, as I. Lord, give me my daily bread and forgive me of my debts and lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. All the pronouns in this prayer are actually plural, none singular. Again, most of us tend to pray about my needs and my sins and my desires, and that's not bad necessarily, but in the model prayer, the one that Jesus says, hey, if you really want to know how to pray, then you can pray this way. He says it's about our needs and our bread, forgiveness of our sins. This is a reminder that we're part of a spiritual family, the fellowship of the forgiven brokenhearted, made whole. And when you take that, that, that approach, there's just no possible way to be proud. Finally, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is one I find myself praying a lot, actually, for me and for my kids and for our staff team and for our church, for you. Because I know that all of us left to ourselves will go astray. Lurking inside, all of us are corruptions that want to take over and destroy us. Make no mistake, the enemy wants to destroy you. Jesus made that, that very clear in John 10. And he often does so by the sin within. He uses sin more like a cancer than he does like a hurricane just slow lurking inside of you the best illustration i've ever heard to describe this because some of you might say but luke i'm i'm no longer a slave to sin but a slave to righteousness and that is true tony evans wrote this illustration in a book about sin like a factory you know the gm plant in shreveport used to help assemble the hummer h3 Chevy S10s. The plant shut down about a decade ago, quit making those vehicles, but you still see some on the road. I notice them almost daily. This is how sin works. When we gave our heart to God, when we gave our lives to Christ, the sin factory of our heart was shut down. Closed. No longer slaves to sin. Now slaves to righteousness. Or now we have the ability to resist sin and choose God's way. And although sin doesn't reign anymore, it does still remain. In the years since the sin factory in our heart was open, sin impacted every part of our lives and our brains and our hearts. And Praise God that we're still a work in progress and that he's not done with us yet. He is slowly transforming us one degree of glory to the next. You see that little thing of sin and you repent of it and you bring it back to Jesus. And 
slowly and surely he begins to stamp out the sin that remains. God is committed to conforming you into the image of Jesus and it's newsflash, it's gonna take your whole life. This is what Jesus is teaching us to pray against. When temptation comes, and it will, likely daily, that we would choose the way of belief and obedience instead of unbelief and disobedience. The key word here in this phrase is into. Lead us not into temptation. What it teaches us to pray is that temptation wouldn't take us into it, that we wouldn't be captured by it. Don't lead me into temptation, but deliver me from evil that is set before me. Today, we will stand before many moments of temptation. That's what life is. Endless choices between belief and unbelief of obedience and disobedience. But the Father, Jesus says, ask the Father to give you strength that you would not yield to the temptation in front of you. Hold me back, Lord, from stepping inside the temptation. Jesus is saying, Lord, protect us from trials and temptation that will be exploited by the evil one to end up overwhelming us, tempting us to commit sin against you and causing our faith to falter, us choosing disbelief and disobedience. Lord, I am ignorant and I make seriously poor decisions sometimes. I'm also weak. And I come to you like a little child that needs your strength and protection. Again, we could do a whole sermon on this one. 1 Corinthians 10. God's given you a way of escape. When tempted, friends, you have to side with God against yourself. So that he can make you into the self that you were destined to be. You ever done that? not wanting to do something that you should, should be doing and you didn't want to do it, but you had to side with God against yourself to be generous when you didn't want to be generous, to forgive when they hurt you deeply, to share your faith when you wanted to be silent. Side with God against yourself. This is what this means. This is how we do this. The Holy Spirit now enables us to choose the right path before us. Friends, we need God's grace to overcome temptations and weakness. And in that very thing, you can pray for me and I'm going to pray for you. My kids need us, me to pray for them daily. You need it. It really is our only hope. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I want to zoom out once more. And look at this teaching from Jesus as a whole. We're about to close. Jesus introduced this passage by telling us how not to pray. Don't pray like the hypocrites who pray to impress others. And don't pray like the Gentiles who try to craft the perfect prayer. All their words. The Father's not impressed by beautiful words or many words. His heart is moved when we come desperately and confidently. Desperate because we realize our enormous need for him. Lord, I need you today for my daily bread. I need you to give me strength to get through today. And desperate because we realize our enormous need and confident because we're convinced that he loves and wants what's best for us. 
Let me leave you with a few practices that might help in prayer. Again, it's not about the technique. It's about knowing who's listening to the prayers that you're praying when you're convinced that the Father really loves you, that he's powerful enough to move literal mountains, to make the sun stay an extra hour or two during a battle. When a God's so powerful that he feeds all the birds of the air, a God so powerful that he holds together you by the word of his power. But so near and so loving and so tender that he cares about your tears. The technique, the acronym ACTS, I've used that a lot. You can put that up there. These are just derived from prayers in the Bible, a lot of it from the very prayer, that the model prayer that Jesus gave us. Adoration and confession and thanksgiving and supplication, but let this just be like the, the, the background melody. Those are big words. So here, here's the kids in the room. We got kids with us still today. Everybody, the kids, this is for you. You can learn how to pray this. Don't worry about those big words. Look, put up the acts for kids. Wow, sorry, thanks, help. We can all pray like that, couldn't we? Maybe since we're supposed to be praying like a child, we should pray like that. Wow. God, you're amazing. I saw that sunset this morning. That's amazing. I'm seeing the flowers bloom in spring. That's amazing. Had an eagle land a couple of weeks ago in a tree in my yard. Scary and amazing. God, you made those things. Wow. sorry God I, I blew it again I lost my temper I said something I regret I'm sorry about that forgive me for that thanks God, I'm so thankful for your grace your grace your blessings help Father would you help me show grace today would you help meet this need? Like Peter, Jesus, I need help paying my taxes. Oh, catch that fish over there. There's a coin in his mouth. This is also a great framework for your DG if you're meeting. You can just go around and just work through that very prayer. What, what's God been to you? Where have you blown it? What are you thankful for? What do you need help with this week? I encourage you to pray aloud or to write it down. In our age of distractions everywhere, sometimes this is the only way. We know that Jesus often just prayed aloud. I mean, he didn't have a ballpoint pen and, and a moleskin. He had, had to chisel that stuff on some rock, I guess, or write it in blood on some papyrus. But we pray aloud or write it down. I encourage you to do that. Just those four words, just starting there, and just to, you just fill in the blank and let, let, let that become the background melody of the song of praise or prayer that you're singing to him. Once you do this for a little bit, you'll learn how to riff. You know a musician, how they riff? A good musician who's mastered the technique of the, of the, of the chords. And now if you listen to a good jazz musician, they will play all over that thing. And it'll be in sync and it will be amazing. The Lord's Prayer, or this axe, becomes your main notes, your rhythm. 
the melody in the background. And then you, as you're praying through those things, God's going to bring things to your memory and to your heart. And you can just start really enjoying him and praying to him and asking him. Let me close with this. I'll invite the band up. We're done. We named this series, Pray What You've Got. You already know Jesus tells us that he doesn't want you to try to impress him with your eloquence. Just bring to him what's on your heart. He's not into long prayers for length's sake. Just bring to him what's on your heart. Again, this is less about technique and more about who is on the other side listening to those prayers. The book of Revelation is amazing. says that there's these big bowls in heaven that Jesus saves our prayers in. I'm so encouraged by that verse almost every week to know that there are prayers that my father, who's no longer with us on this side of heaven, prayed for me and prayed for my kids, prayed for their spouses, pray for their salvation, that those prayers are still going up before the Father as incense in these big bowls. Isn't that amazing? Friends, pray what you got. We're going to take communion in a little bit. They'll be available to you. It's this beautiful reminder that we serve a holy God who left heaven to give his life as, as a ransom for many. And here he showed you the full extent of his love. This is why he said, when you come together, I want you to do this. I want you to take communion so you can be reminded of how and how much the Father loves you. But before we do that, I just want us to get still before the Lord. The prayer team will be in the back. You've got a prayer card right in front of you if you want to write some of this down, if you want our staff to pray. But could we put ourselves in a posture of dependency and confidence before the Lord that God right now is listening no prayer too big, no prayer too small that we would just bring them to the Lord, that we would turn this gymnasium into a house of prayer some of you got deep burdens on your heart, you got prayers you've been praying for decades, literally decades and you've yet to see God answer them and like the persistent widow, he invites you to keep asking, keep asking, keep knocking. Because while you're, while you're asking and knocking, you're becoming a different person. We're going to open the altar up if someone wants to come down here and pray. Let's just do business with the Lord. Our communion servers are at their station. Just make the next 10 minutes just about us getting alone with God. The God who loves us perfectly, the God who knows our needs, the God who invites us to bring them to him. Father, we love you. We know that you first loved us, which enabled us to love in the first place. God, we also know that some of us have real heavy burdens on our hearts, and you know those too, and you've been You've invited, uh, you've been, you've fled with, you've, you've, you're pleading with us to bring them to you. Physical sickness, financial shortcomings, 
difficulty ahead. Lord, would you move? Would you do only what you can? Would you, or would you bring us to the end of ourselves so that we would have faith like little kids to pray for you, to, to pray to you and ask from you for the most basic needs that we have? as you do what God puts on your heart to do. Don't miss his leading, his prompting.